I hope that song actually resonated with you, that it is a happy day, that we have the opportunity to be a part of all the things that are going on, even in here right now. As a matter of fact, in here right now, there are first through fourth graders who need to head out that door right over there with Miss Lisa. So if you're a first through fourth grader, head that way if you would for me as they're heading on out. I know we have some of you guys that are, that are still hung over with tryptophan kind of thing because you've had way too much turkey. That's okay, but I hope that you uh, have a little bit of juice flowing in you. I hope you're a little bit excited about what we're doing. I hope a little, you're a little bit excited about what God is doing, and I'm glad you came this morning. And I'll tell you, I love Thanksgiving, but I think what I love more about than Thanksgiving is the weekend after Thanksgiving, and there's one reason why. Leftovers, okay? I, I think part of me inside battles on whether or not it's okay to like leftovers more than the original. Because I like turkey, I like all the stuff, but there's something better about Friday and Saturday and Sunday where you take that leftover turkey and you, you grab some of the leftover rolls, and if, you're, if you really want to do it up, you grab some of the leftover dressing, thank you. Uh, you grab some of the leftover dressing, you grab some of the leftover uh, cranberry sauce, and you grab some of the leftover mashed potatoes, and you put it all on a sandwich, and you put a little mayo and a little bit of mustard on there, and oh, it is... I might be leaving here in just a second just to go grab a little bit of that. We can, we can do communion that way instead. Um, when you stop and when you think about it, leftovers are pretty all right. However, if I were to invite you to come over to my house tonight, I would not say, hey, bring your leftovers. And my guess is, is that you wouldn't want to bring your leftovers. My guess is if you invited me over to your house, you wouldn't say, hey, it'll be just a minute. We got some stuff in the microwave. It'll all be set. Uh, we, got, we found some stuff in the back of the fridge. You're all set. Don't worry about it. Because leftovers, they're good for yourself, but not so much when you're, you're in a group setting or not so much when you're inviting somebody over. Unless, unless maybe you've been to a few of the Southern Baptist potlucks that I've been to in my life where you're not exactly sure what that is and where it came from because you know the person and you know that that probably has been in the back of their fridge and they might have just scraped off something off the top. That's why I always stick with the fried chicken when I go to a potluck because I know you can't mess that up. Now, now the reality is um, we are okay with leftovers, but we wouldn't serve that to somebody else. And I, and I got to thinking about this. I was reading a story actually this week as I was looking for an illustration. And I, I was just a, a mere babe when... when um, uh, Jimmy Carter was president. But uh, apparently Jimmy Carter used to make it a regular habit to go and spend evenings with common Americans. He would pick them at random and he would go and he would hang out with them at their house and, and just get to, to know them. And I thought to myself, what would you do if the president of the United States, whether you like him or not, if he showed up at your house? If you knew that he was coming and he was on his way, how would you respond? Because my guess is if the president showed up and the limousine came and all the news was out front, and everybody was out there and all this crazy stuff is going on, everybody's taking selfies, he's tweeting about how great you are, and, and uh, hopefully, and, and he shows up at the door and when he shows up at the door and his wife is standing next to him, you open up the door with a pair of sweats on and some slippers and you're like, hey, what's up, man? Uh, why don't you come on in? Uh, we would have cleaned up the house, but we were busy binge-watching some, some TV today, and, and we got all of our shows in. So sorry we didn't quite get that. The leftovers are in the microwave. We're all set. Uh, we got some paper plates out. We got the cool Thanksgiving ones, though. They're a dollar at Walmart right now, so we went and grabbed those on clearance. It's all good. Come on in and join us. Can you imagine that? W would that even be something we'd even consider doing? 
to, to respond in such a way to say, the President of the United States, uh, we're, we're going to put our best foot forward. And we're going to do that in the best way that we possibly can. And we think about that, and we think about what about the President makes us want to step up and give our best. What about that dignitary? What about the governor? What about whoever it might be? Maybe it's your favorite athlete. Maybe it's your favorite uh, musician. Whatever it might be. Somebody that, that you have in high regard. How should we respond? Then we can pause. As we're talking about le uh, leftovers today, we are also talking about this idea of simplification. As a matter of fact, this is our last Sunday for simplifying. As we talk about simplify, we've talked about all different sorts of things. We've talked about choosing the right thing, to, to be still. We've talked about all of these mentalities that we need to, to fill our buckets with versus the things that drain us. And we looked at that and we say, how does leftovers fit into this simplification? Well, it has a lot to do with what we decide to simplify with. Because maybe in your heart, maybe in your mind, as you sat through this over the last couple of weeks, you said, well, maybe I should cut back on what I give to God. That's where I should simplify it. And, and that's a real reality in our hearts. Because sometimes I think about when we put our tithe in the tithe box. I think to myself, man, if we didn't do this, I could have a nicer car. And I'm just being flat honest with you. I, I think that to myself. I, if we didn't do this, I could do If I wasn't investing so much time at the church, I could be doing other things. I could be out playing more golf. I could get better eventually, right? There, there's, and, of course, my tie would have to go to that too. But, but that, that's, that's the reality. What if I cut back here and just gave God what was left instead of what was best? And we think to ourselves, this question, is it okay to serve God leftovers? The big question of this day is, is it okay to serve God leftovers? This weekend full of leftovers, is it okay for us to do that? Today we're going to be in the book of Malachi. Malachi, for those of you who have been in church for a while. And we're going to be looking at the, the prophet and his confrontation with the people of Israel as they chose to serve God leftovers. And the result of it all, as a matter of fact, we say, you know, should we serve God leftovers? The answer that comes immediately to our mind is, no, we shouldn't serve God leftovers. But just because it comes out of our mouth doesn't mean it happens in our actions. Because often God gets what's left over. If I have some left over, I'll drop it in the box. If I have some time, I'll volunteer. If I have some of this after everything else is done, I'll give that to God instead of giving God what's rightfully his. See, we wouldn't give the president leftovers, and the president sometimes thinks he's God. But when the reality of who God is comes to our mind, should we respond that the same way we respond to a president, or same way we respond to a dignitary, or same way we respond to our favorite athlete, or, or musician, or whatever it might be? Because God created them. See, God, in verse 14 of the first chapter of Malachi, says, I am the king of all. I am a great king. My name is revered among the nations. And that's just one verse of many throughout all of Scripture where God says, I am greater than. So we should respond in such. So why would we or should we serve God leftovers? I mean, that's a question. Do people really serve God leftovers? And Malachi would answer the question, yes. Yes, they do. The priests of his day were doing just that. See, when you look at the, at the passage we're going to look at here in just a second, they would 
give unblemished lambs. That, that was the idea, that, that they were supposed to give unblemished lambs to God as a sacrifice on the altar. But when an unblemished lamb would come, that they would actually take that lamb and say, well, we don't really want to waste it on this because that's good meat. We can just kind of sneak one of the other ones in, put it on the altar. God's not going to really care. And we're just going to put it on the altar. We're going to keep the better one for ourselves. It's good stewardship. It's a good way for me to to balance the money. We'll even sell that one and give that money to God. And we see that throughout it. And the people would bring a less than perfect lamb. And they'd say, I don't know if I can. And you know what they would do? You know what the, the, uh, the priest would do? They would okay it and say, hey, don't you worry. That lamb is sick. It's blind. It's lame. Don't worry. You can go ahead and put that on there. You couldn't eat it anyway, so it's actually better for you. And we're going to make life easier. We're going to make it comfortable for you. We're going to make it okay for you to be able to do that. And it give you a kind of a time frame of where this is all happening at. Nehemiah had come in. Maybe you know about Nehemiah. He came in and built a wall in 52 days. And he came in and built this wall up around Jerusalem, and, and they were protected, and the temple was rebuilt, and, and Jerusalem was being rebuilt. And in the process, people fell back in love with God. They weren't far from God anymore, and they were excited about God, and they were excited about what God was doing. And when, when that began to happen, uh, people started to lift him up and praise him. And for the next hundred years, they got a little bit complacent after that point. And they began to kind of go, oh, you know, it's just God. God's giving us stuff. Why do we have to respond like that? Why do we have to do this? And they began to question God. And, you know, when they started giving the leftover of the flock and they started making excuses for it. And it's real easy to drift away from God over time. As his blessings continue to pour out, we just think, oh, that's usual. So we don't have to give him any praise. We don't have to give him any honor. We can come and be half-hearted about our worship. We can come and just give a partial. We can come and bring a blemished lamb or a blemished offering and say, you know what, God, yeah, this is, I'm just doing this. And we have a tendency even to do that in our own lives. We forget how great God is. And, and when we come and we sing, oh, happy day, and we go like this, oh, happy day, happy day. No, it's Come on, it's a happy day. We have plenty to give thanks for. We are meeting right here, right now, without any worry about what might happen because the government's going to come in and shut us down. We don't have any worry about that because we live in a country that God has allowed us to meet and be able to greet and be able to praise and be able to worship and be able to do all these things. We can't miss that. We can't forget that. We can't let it drift. But as we looked at it, we see this idea of the law beginning to fade. The, the, the idea of why we do what we do begin to fade. And we see it in Malachi. So what I'd like for you to do is if you have your Bibles, I would hope you do. Go to Malachi chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 6 and we're going to read through verse 14. If you don't have it, it will be up here on the screen. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. And I'm going to jump over to the Message Version a couple of times just to to help break it down, because it, it does a great job in, in paraphrasing what it says. But this is what it says, starting in verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, and this is God, by the way, talking through the prophet Malachi, where is my honor? And I, if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? When I look at that, the first thing I think is they don't even recognize what they're doing. 
They've become so complacent, so lax in their worship, they don't even recognize it. It's just what they do. They don't even know why they're doing it. And then verse 8, it says, But when you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? Sorry, I jumped past verse 7 there. But it says, And when you offer those who are lame or sick, isn't that evil? Present that to your governor, your president, your dignitary, your favorite athlete. Will he accept you or show you favor? says the Lord of hosts, and now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. You pray and ask for grace and you pray and ask for mercy with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. You know, I look at that and I think to myself, is he being serious here or is he being sarcastic? Like, you pray and ask for blessings, yet you give nothing really in return. You know, a gift is a gift. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. You know, it, it's something that, that you get because the giver is a good giver. And our God is the greatest giver there is. However, when we think to ourselves, well, God's given me all this stuff, and I'm just kind of throwing something back in his general direction that's not good, it's just junk, would you want to continue to give that gift? That is a question that's being answered or asked here. And then it says in verse 10, it says, Oh, that there were only among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. I look at that, and I told you, you know, there's, there's some things that are said here, but verse 10 in the message version, it really puts it in there. It says, why doesn't one of you just shut the temple doors and lock them? Then none of you can get in and play at religion with this silly, empty-headed worship. I'm not pleased. How often do we just play worship? How often do we just play church? How often are we responding to what God has for us? In verse 11 it says, For from the rising of the sun to the setting my name will be great among the nations. And in every place incense will be offered to my name as a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you, you're not doing that. Every place else, this is what you're doing. But you, you profane it when you say to the Lord's table is polluted. And its fruit, that is, is a food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. How boring is, is this? And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and you bring it as your offering. Shall I accept it from your hands, says the Lord. I want to flip back over to the message version and read those same two verses. It says, all except you. Everybody else is doing except for you. Instead of honoring me, you profane me. You profane me when you say worship is not important. And what we bring to you is of no account. And when you say, I'm bored, this doesn't do anything for me. Ever heard that in church? I might have said that a time or two as a teenager. It says, you act so superior, sticking your noses in the air. Act superior to me, God of the angel armies. And when you do offer something to me, it's a hand-me-down or broken or useless. Do you think I'm going to accept it? This is God speaking to you. Wrapping up in verse 14, it says, Cursed be the chief who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Leftovers. Here's the deal. The priests knew the law of Moses. They knew there were some obscure verses found in Leviticus, and they knew there were some obscure verses found in Deuteronomy that said something about making sure that, that you give the best to God. You give that unblemished offering to God. But these guys were practical men. 
And as we look at it in a practical way, is that a practical thing to do, to waste the best in a fire? That, that's their thinking. Should we really waste this in a fire when we have the opportunity to do different? And the Lord, you know, he understands our situation. He knows we're kind of poor people. We're not rich people. We can't just waste a good, perfect lamb. He'll take what we have to give, won't he? And we look at that and we say to ourselves, will he? And I like that sarcastic remark is, would you really give these to your governor? Would you really give these to the people that are there? Would you really show up in that sort of way with that sort of heart? And that's a question that we have to answer. And God says, you know what? I hear all your excuses, but they're not good enough. They dishonor me. Don't water it down. And sometimes when I get up here and I, and I have a message, you know, it's funny. There are some things I don't want to say because I'm afraid of offending people. But then I realize I have to say them because I shouldn't be as afraid of offending people as I am offending God. And, and, and that's a real struggle with me. That's a real struggle in the church today because we don't want people to leave. People make a bigger church. Bigger churches make bigger splashes. Bigger splashes, put me on a magazine. You know, I, there, there, there are things like that that are real in the church. You, you look it up, and every year the Outreach Magazine has the top 100 fastest growing churches. We haven't made that list yet. I don't see it happening. But here's the thing. What does God want? Our name to be glorified or his name to be glorified? Does he want Paragon Church lifted up or does he want him lifted up? Does he want Matt Sellers lifted up, or does he want him lifted up? Does he want my picture on a magazine, or does he want me to be the person of the year another time when I get that phone call? What is it? What is it that we have, and we look at this and we see, you know what, we live in this world of convenient Christianity. People will church shop. They, they will shop from church to church to find the one that meets their needs instead of finding the one where they can be a part of meeting the needs of the community, where they can be used, and where they can be able to glorify God. How is that in our lives? And you know, I love that verse in verse 10 where it says, oh, that there will be one among you who would shut the doors, that you won't meet uselessly in my name. And I think, how many churches just need to be closed because they're not doing any good? That they're just wasting time on a Sunday morning. They could be wasted somewhere else. That they're bringing half-hearted, limp, dying offerings instead of what God has called from us. And here's the deal. See, at the center of the Jewish worship at that time, it was very clear. You had to bring an unblemished offering to be the sacrifice for your sins, to be the sacrifice where you missed. And I look at that and I think to ourselves, you know, when we decide to bring a blemished offering, there's two things I think that were taking place. One, you're saying God isn't worthy of unblemished, and I am not so unworthy that I have to offer perfection in some way to replace what I've done wrong, to, to be in the place of my sin. Because that was what it was all about. We look at that and we say, well, what about, what about today? Well, in today's modern church, see, after the resurrection of Jesus that we will talk about today, that we'll celebrate today, that we will remember today, after the resurrection of Jesus, we have to remember this, that things changed, that he was and is that perfect offering. But our job 
in that is to take that knowledge and take that wisdom and take that truth and take that good news and share it. And take that and run with it. And, and we, when we don't, and when we throw up that watered-down message and we, we try and just be sugar-coated to everybody, I think that's us offering up a, a blemished offering, same way that the Jews did in this same day. And I look at that and I say, you know, when we want to get people in the doors, I, I understand that. But when we forget why we have them in the doors, that I don't understand. When we forget that Jesus is the substitute for us and there is no other. When we forget that Jesus is the one, that, that it's not about us, but about him. About him taking our place, about him taking our punishment, about him taking our shame. And taking that on the cross that he might die for us. And then raise again. That's an amazing thing. We watched the movie A Case for Christ last night on Netflix. If you have Netflix and you uh, are, are, are one of those people who don't have anything to do this afternoon, watch that. It's a great, great uh, book that I, I enjoyed by Lee Strobel that, that has been made into a movie and kind of followed his life. But what a great challenge it is to each and every one of us to, to share and to pray for people. I won't go any further. I'll ruin the movie for you. But do me a favor and do that. Because when we look at this and we, we think to ourselves, you know, God wants his name proclaimed among the nations. God wants his, 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 his glory promoted. How is he going to do that? Well, for some reason, he chose you and he chose me. So today, as we look at Malachi, and today, I, I believe this is what it's saying and how we do that. And it's the fact that we give the best of our lives, not leftovers. We give the best of what we have. We go all in. A few years ago, uh, when we were meeting at Cleveland High School, I guess it was more than a few years ago, but when we were meeting at Cleveland High School, we did a whole series on going all in. We talked about that, that Luke chapter, 20, uh, chapter 10, verse 27, verse when it says, love the Lord with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and all your strength. And the second thing to do is love your neighbor as yourself. And we look at that and we say, how do we do that? What does that look like in our lives? Well, the last few weeks of this Simplify, I've given you homework. I'm going to give you homework again today. And that homework is this, to simplify your lives down to, to where you're not so spread thin that you're only giving God the leftovers, but instead you're focused on Him with what you have. And so what we need to understand here, what we fully need to grasp about this passage, is a couple of things. The first thing is, and we need to understand, is that God's purpose is to glorify His name among the nations. That's His purpose. That, that's what he wants to see done. You know, I could preach sermons upon sermons upon sermons about this because God talks about it over and over and over again. But the short of it is, is this right here. If we're not clear about what God is doing in this world, we're not going to be clear with our own lives. We're not going to be target, on target with our own lives, and we're going to be so scattered, it's going to ruin that idea of simplification. God's purpose is to promote his glory, and he wants to use his people to do that. How? Well, kind of what I just read to you, by going all in. That, that, that two greatest commandments, that was when he shared that, was when somebody said, hey, what are the, what's the greatest commandment there is out there? And that's what he shared. He shared the two, the first two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the second thing is, is that we go and we do the Great Commission by proclaiming the gospel to all the nations, proclaiming his name, proclaiming how great it is. Why, why would you share the good news? Well, probably because what it's already done for you how God has worked in you, how God has changed you, how God is working in you, how God is changing you. That is what we share. 
You don't have to have a, a perfect testimony down. All you have to say is, here's who I once was, here's who I am now, and this is the story how it got there. Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all we have to do. So the first thing is we want to make sure that we are proclaiming his name. The second thing we need to understand is as God's people, we're often blind to how we dishonor him. We're often blind to how we dishonor him. We often miss it. We, we, we miss the obvious things, that, that whole Captain Obvious things with Hotels.com or whatever it is. We miss the obvious because we're so caught up in doing the same thing over and over and over again. We think that what we're doing is okay. And, you know, even in Malachi, in verse 6, it says, how we despise your name. In verse 7, it says, how we defiled you. They didn't even know because they were so caught up in just doing the motions, going through mechanical worship. Because they had drifted. My question for you even today is, is, are you in the midst of mechanical worship? Or are we just going through the motions? You know, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 7, it talks about the guys that, that Jesus never knew. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 7, this is what it says. In verse 21, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, we can do and we can do and we can do, but if we don't know him, it doesn't matter. And when we know him, we know who he is, and we put him that he is who he is, and we are who we are, and because we are who we are, we are glad to be his. And we profess his name in that way. But often it becomes mechanical, and often we just go to church to go to church, and often we just serve to serve, and often we just do things to do things because we think that's what we have to do. Instead of why we want to do is because we know Jesus Christ. We know the Lord of hosts, and he is our father, and that's how we respond. The next thing I wrote down is this. What does it mean to honor the Lord with our lives? See, honor the Lord with our lives means giving the best of our lives. Honoring the Lord with our lives means giving the best of our lives. We should give God the best in many different ways. As a matter of fact, Malachi mentions four things, and the first one is this. It's in cost. In cost. We give the best in terms of cost. See, salvation is a free gift. It's the most beautiful gift we could ever have. Salvation is a free gift, and, and like I said, today we're going to celebrate that gift because of Jesus Christ coming, living, dying, and raising again for you and for me. We have salvation. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We never did. However, he's given it to us, and because he's given it to us, how should we respond? We should respond by giving everything because he gave everything to begin with. And, you know, I, I got to think about this. I'm not sure how much you guys are into hymns, but there's one when it's called When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. It was written by Isaac Watts, and actually it was a song written specifically for communion. And what it says in the, the, the last lines of that, of that, that, uh, that hymn, the, the, the fourth stanza, it says, Love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. And I think about that. Love so amazing, this love that we will celebrate, this amazing thing that we will celebrate, what does it demand? Does it demand an unblemished lamb or does it demand some leftovers? No, it's, it's my soul, my life, my all. 
That's what it demands, and that's how we should respond. Let me ask you a question. Is giving God what you don't really want or don't really need giving? I mean, when, when you stop and think about it, if, if I were going to be giving you a gift and I'm like, oh, yeah, I got some junk back here, just take that. That's, you're good, right? That, you, that's all you right? I mean, we do it at church mission, mission yard sales, right, when we raise money for missions. We've got a lot of junk come in, a lot of things I'm not going to touch. The reality is, is we're like, yeah, I don't need it. Go ahead and just give that to God. But, but when it comes down to actually having to give something sacrificially, come, give something until it hurts a little bit, we're a little bit more hesitant on that. But yet God gave all the way until it hurt, didn't he? He gave his best, his one and only son. When there is no real sacrifice, when there is no heart, I mean, think about it in your time and your talents and your treasures, what we've talked about before. When we really stop and think about our time and our talent and our treasures, are we giving of our time? Are we giving of our talent? Are we giving of our treasures to the point where it's actually sacrificial? Or are we just going, well, I got a little bit extra here. I'm going to give that to God finally. And, and, and that's the question we have to think about. Because here's the thing. Even in Jesus' day, the religious leaders, they gave and they, they, Jesus pointed them out. So they'll, they'll, they'll put money in the treasury and they'll make a big deal out of it. And then this widow comes up and she puts everything that she had. Even though it was a very small amount, it was everything that she had. And who did Jesus commend and who did Jesus rebuke? It was the one who gave all, even though it wasn't the same massive amount and getting all the glory for themselves. It was just her quietly doing that. The heart behind it matters and the sacrifice behind it matters. Look at Mary of Bethany when she breaks the alabaster jar of the expensive perfume and she puts it over Jesus' feet. And if she does that, all of the disciples do what? They complain, and they murmur, and they all say, well, we could have sold that and given the money to the poor. Because it was worth a whole, whole lot. And who does Jesus lift up, and who does Jesus rebuke? He rebukes the disciples. He lifts up Mary. You know, the priests in Malachi's day should have known, because they knew scriptures, they should have known the story of 2 Samuel. Our 2 Samuel found in verse 24 of chapter 24, it, it is David's response to he was going to take a census. God told him not to. He did it anyway. God wasn't real happy about that. And in the process of that, uh, David gets down and he, he begs for forgiveness. God gives him mercy. And as God gives him mercy, uh, it's where it takes place at. He says, I'm going to build an altar here and I'm going to give a sacrifice. And he goes to the guy that owns the land. And he says, hey, I need to buy your land. I need to build an altar. And I need to make a sacrifice. And the guy says, hey, guess what? I'm going to give it to you for free. You're the king. I'm going to give it to you free. You can have the land. You can have the altar. You can even have some of my oxen to put on there. You know what David responds in saying? It says in verse 24 of chapter 24 in 2 Samuel, it says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. How often do we do that? How often do we respond like that? I will not offer anything to the God, which cost me nothing. We shouldn't forget those words. So, First is cost. The second is we should give God the best in terms of quality. Would you give? It's all right. It's all good. Getting all moody now. Uh, here, here's, the, here's the reality. When we think about quality, what do we give God? Do we give him the leftover junk? Because even in that passage, he says, you might give the sick and the blind and the lame lambs, to God, but would you do it to your government? So how much bigger is God than that? Third thing I wrote down is this. We should give God in the best of terms of priority. 
Is God a priority? Is his mission a priority? Where does he fall in your daily walk? Or is he just a Sunday thing? As we look at Thanksgiving, as we look at the table and see what he gave, how much do we give in return? Matthew 6, we've talked about it before. The command is to seek first God and his righteousness. And then everything else will be given unto you. Is he our first priority? Is he what we seek out first? Is he the one that we say, this is it? And how do we make that happen? Well, I'll be very honest. I'll speak to you from personal experience. When I struggle with where God is in my life, it generally has to do with how often I'm in this thing. If I'm in this on a daily basis, I recognize that I've read this, that God is speaking to me, and he helps put the rest of my life in, in order. But when I'm not, and there's often times that I am not, I recognize everything else goes into chaos. That's the reality of it all. How often are you in God's word? How often are you communicating with him? How often? And, and you know, as we look at it, once again, these are things as we simplify. What needs to be eliminated from those 24 hours so you can focus more on what God has for you? The fourth thing I wrote down is this, is what we should give God as the best in terms of, of our personal integrity. Personal integrity, the motive. Why is it that you do what you do? As verse 14 wraps up this passage that we said, it said this, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. He wants to look good in public, but then sneaks in a bad one to make sure that he can keep what he wants. Ananias and Sapphira, you ever read about them in the book of Acts, when they decide to sell their property and they say, hey, we're given all, but they weren't really given all. They were only saying they're given all so they could be lifted up. And then Peter says, hey, guess what? You're not lying to man. You're lying to God. Dead. Aren't you glad that isn't the case? None of us would probably be here. We'd all be dead. But, but here's the reality, that God is a merciful God. And God is a grace-filled God, and he loves us so very much. And I look at that, and I think, you know, what is it that we do, and why is it that we do it? How do we respond to the God of the universe sending the most amazing gift we could ever have? As we move into this Christmas season, next week we're going to talk about why is the church important? You know, we're celebrating our 400th Sunday as a church, and as we celebrate that, we're going to celebrate the, the idea of, of being a church, but why is it even important to be a church? And then we're going to move into that, and we're going to say, why is even Christmas important? Other than retailers would say, it's very important to us. Why is it important? Because we often get confused on those very things. And I look at this, and I think about this communion this morning, and I say, you know, communion should help us put it into perspective. Communion should help us understand who God is and what he has done for us and what he continues to do for us. This table should remind us of how great and glorious and merciful our God is. The question is, is will it? Does it? Will this be another thing we just do because it's part of the things that we do at church? Or will it be one of those things that lights a passion inside of us to say, God, you have given me so much. How can I respond in such a way to say that, I actually care, that it actually means something to me. And as we close this challenge of simplifying, one of the things we've talked about is what gets your time. I want to challenge you today not only to say that, but what gets your time and what gets your passion and what gets your energy and what gets your treasure. What is it? What is it you put all into and what gets the leftover? 
That's a question that you have to answer. And you know, one of the big reasons why I've talked about Simplify this week is because chaos and busyness have, have really just wrecked our lives. And I want to bring it back around to say, you know, one of the things we need to do is we need to get our schedules back in order because unbalanced schedules kill passion. And one of the things we need to do is we need to, to look at our talents that we're not using and these unused talents and how when we sit on those gifts, we feel passionless because we just don't even know what to do it for, even though we have that there with us. Unconfessed sin, the things that build a barrier between us and God, it kills our passion. It kills our desire and it causes us to sit back and say, well, God, I can't do it for you because instead of just confessing and say, God, I'm a sinner, you have saved me from that, use me for your glory and your honor. How about this? Unresolved conflict. We talked about forgiveness last week. How was Thanksgiving, by the way? We won't answer that question. Okay, so we're going to move on from there, and we're going to look at this idea of, of un, uh, unresolved conflict. And I think to myself, that builds a barrier. To know that God's forgiven me, and I have such a hard time forgiving somebody else. Unsupported lifestyle is another one I wrote down, and the fact that we don't have community to help hold us accountable. How are you in plugged-in community? Unclear purpose. When we don't have a purpose, we just run around, wasting our energy. It kills our passion. The last thing is, is undernourished spirit. Once again, being in the Word. God feeds our passion with His passion when we're in communication with Him. I look at all this, and I see this table, and I say, you know what? Today's a day to respond. Today's a day to come, and, and if, if you know the table, you know what we do. We, we just take time to remember what Christ has done, and we respond in kind. I want to read for you the passage that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as he set up the communion table to help people remember why they do it. It says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on that night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because that's what we're here for, is to proclaim the glory and the majesty of who God is and what he does. We're going to come to the table today, and what we're going to do is actually, I've asked Jerome, it wasn't part of the song list, but I said, you know, can we throw in the wonderful cross as a response just to sing and say, God, because of your love, so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. That wonderful cross, it bids me to come and die. And I, and I want to, to challenge you as we sing that to, to begin to get your heart right, to begin to get your mind right. And then after that song, we're just going to open up the table. We don't pass the elements. We don't have a specific time. What we'll do is as soon as that song is done, I'll say, come, take the bread, take the cup, and, and take it back to your seat. You can take it up here. You can kneel at, at, at the, the, the shiplap wood here if you so choose, whatever it is you choose to do. But come and remember what that body broken did for you. And remember what that blood poured out did for you. And in so, respond in kind to say, there's no way I could ever repay this. But here is all that I have. That's my challenge to you as we close in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word through Malachi. When we look at this, this bunch of priests who had been living for so long and been in such blessing that they are missing who you are. 
So much so they're offering you leftovers. God, I I don't want to be that. But unfortunately, I fall into that trap on a routine basis. Offering you leftovers. But a day like today, where we get to come to the table, where we get to experience just a little bit of the broken body, and experience just a little bit of the blood poured out, represented in just a little wafer, and represented in just a little bit of juice, we get to remember what you've done for us and how huge that truly is. That without you, we'd still be in some old sacrificial system, not sure of our salvation, not sure of what was going to take place next. But now, because of your son, Jesus Christ, we know. We know for sure that we are found in you, that we are redeemed, that we are reconciled to a God who, who we were far from. Not because of anything we've done, but all because of what you did through your son, Jesus. Even as we sing this song, to prepare our hearts for the table. God, I pray that every person in here that is a follower of yours realizes where they're at in their relationship with you and wants to see it grow. Whether they are close to you or they're far from you, they just want to see it grow and move closer to you. We pray it all in your name. Amen.